Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Amen. And so as we began uh, reading at the fourth verse, keep that in mind that we're talking, or he is talking about a time that is near the end, that is after the rapture. We'll see some of the beginnings of the tribulation period in this particular passage. At verse 4 of chapter 24, and then Jesus answered and said unto them, and by the way, Jesus is answering the question, that he was given in verse 3 when the disciples said to him, What are going to be the signs of your coming in the end of the world? And so he begins to answer them. Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. But ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in divers, that is, many places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you to the afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. You may remember, if you were here last week, that one of the things that we noted in last week's sermon was that the Jewish people had no concept of two comings of Christ. They only thought of his coming one time. Therefore, they were confused when they could not put together their concept of the Messiah coming and what the Messiah ought to do when he got there. They did not realize that he was coming as a savior, but he would come back again as the ruler of the world. And so they asked him, what are the signs that are going to happen? How can we know that the end is near, the end of the world? and his coming. And notice that they put those two phrases together in verse 3. They want to know, what are the signs of your coming and of the end of the world? As if they, that was one event, which basically, it's, it's coming to that point. The coming of the Lord back to the world will be at the end of a period of seven years of tremendous, terrible tribulation. And so Jesus begins to describe to them the beginnings of this seven-year period. Keep in mind, the church is gone. We're not here. If you are here, you're lost. 
you will be raptured, taken up bodily if Jesus comes while we're still alive. Every Christian will ascend to heaven. And in that ascension, we will meet Jesus coming with the people who have died beforehand and will join together in the air with the saved who have gone on before and have that tremendous reunion. The church will be gone and all that will be in the world are those who are left and at that point in time there's not going to be a saved person in the world. At that point. Keep in mind that at that point there will be people saved and we'll talk about that. And so he says as things begin toward the end take heed that no man deceive you. In verse 4 and verse 5, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now here's some of the hints that the time is drawing near, is that people are going to be deceived and believe that a lot of people who claim to be Christ are that. They're going to be led astray. Satan is the great deceiver. He will do anything he can to get the Christian off the track. And he accomplishes that in many cases. I think that we are beginning to see a tremendous excelling of events in history that are leading toward the, the end of time. Down in verses, which will be in uh, two or three sermons ahead yet, but down in verses 23 and 24 of this same chapter, he, he makes a notation, If any man say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. If there's anything Satan wants to do, it's to deceive the church. And there are lots of our church people who are deceived. And many people will start following false people, false leaders, those who claim to be prophets or claim to, to have an inroad into the Lord. Jim Jones was a perfect example of that. Who gathered together a tremendous number of people and led them astray to their death and ordered their death and ordered the handing out of the poison that killed them. You remember that episode that was in the papers some time ago. There's going to be lots of deception. One group teaches this, and another group teaches that, and another group teaches something else, and there are these guys that come along and, and keep on saying, I'm the Christ. We have them all the time, and once in a while, somebody comes along that way. But even beyond that, people who stand in the place of preachers who are supposedly ordained of God to preach the gospel and say, I've got the truth, and I'm the only one that knows the truth. You've heard of it. And people will say to me frequently, well, how can I tell the difference? Because the Baptist Church teaches this, and 
Uh, the American Baptist teaches this, the Free Will teaches that, and the General Association of Regular Baptists teach something else, and the Methodists teach something else, and Church of Christ teaches something else, the Catholics do something else, and something else is and you just go on, 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 on. Now, the first way to make a distinction in that which is the church that is true and the church that is false is what they believe about Jesus Christ. Do they believe in his virgin birth, in his crucifixion on the cross, in his resurrection, and in his coming again? Now you find a truth that doesn't hold to those four truths, and you better shy away. But how are you going to know? And Paul said to Timothy, a young preacher on one occasion, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What am I saying to you? The way that we're going to know the difference between truth and falsehood is by a real honest-to-goodness study of his word. Now there's an awful lot of biblical ignorance in this world. People who have not uh, studied very much. I don't know how much time you spend in your Bible every day, but I'm suggesting to you that if you want to know the difference between right and wrong, study it yourself. Don't take what I say as the gospel truth unless you can verify it by the scripture. Paul said that even if angels come preaching any other gospel than what I preach, don't you believe it. And so I certainly would be one of those that Paul would caution you about, and on and on we can go. Look into the scripture, devour it. There ought to be the possibility of every Christian as time goes along, the more and more and more, because you have studied yourself, you have read it, you have deciphered it, you spent time in Sunday school, in church, in Bible studies on Wednesday night, and so on and have been guided and led, but you have come to the understanding of it yourself. It is imperative that we know the Scripture. But listen, during the period of the tribulation, it will be absolutely imperative for the person to be saved that he knows the difference between what is true and what is false. And he's going to have to do some severe digging at that time because Satan is increasing his effort to try to deceive people who are seeking the truth. So, the way to know is to digest the scripture with all of your effort. You ought to spend time every day studying. And I'll tell you this before you start, you're never going to know it all. I suppose I have spent nearly every day for at least 35 years studying the Scripture. And I confess to you that I am not a very good Bible student. There is so much more there that I've yet got to learn. But I have been able, I think, to learn enough to know that there are some basics, and those basics center around what you believe about Jesus Christ. Let's forget about the differences in how we baptize, different modes of baptism. That really doesn't make any difference in the long run. Let's forget, forget about the differences in how we worship. 
whether we stand up and shout or whether we weep or whether we get on our knees or whether we sit still, whether we're quiet or whether we're boisterous, those things are inconsequential. What makes the difference is what do you know about Jesus Christ and what he did for you? And that's clear in the scripture. If we do nothing but study John 3.16, we can understand that. So all of us can comprehend some very basics about Jesus Christ. Now, let's go on. I can spend all night on that, and I nearly have. Goodness, I've got a long way to go tonight. Uh, verse, uh, look at verse 6. The next thing he says after this deception is that you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in many places. It seems to me that I cannot remember very well a time when there have not been a war of some sort. And I think that there probably has not been a time that some nation somewhere has not been at war with somebody else. In, in many hundreds of years, we are in conflict, but this conflict is escalating tremendously. You're going to hear wars and rumors of wars continually. We had time to go back to Daniel chapter 11, and you might want to do that sometime. We'll not do it this evening. You will discover there that one of the prophecies of Daniel is that there's going to be armies of the south going against the Antichrist and armies of the north coming against the Antichrist. You see, after the church is taken out of this world, there's going to be a political figure called the Antichrist come on the scene. And he is going through the, uh, I believe, the uh, common market of the European nations. He's going to, to gather a tremendous amount of power and, and attempt to set himself up as the political ruler of the entire world. But Russia in the north is not going to buy this idea. And the scripture says some armies from the south and this seems to be somewhat vague, but it seems to me what we're going to see in the years to come is that the nations of Africa are going to grow in strength and in power and become a mighty power. And we probably are going to be talking about the nations of the South as being at the African nations who may have been united, and the northern nations are pretty well de uh, defined as Russia, who are going to converge upon Israel. Because the Antichrist is going to attempt to woo the, the Israelite nation, and they are going to converge there. The Antichrist ruling what is normally called the old Roman Empire, and there's going to be tremendous battle. But there's another nation that gets into the picture. It's called something from the east, and in the east is China. And the scripture tells us in Revelation, if you want to go over to Revelation chapter 9, and by the way, I'm going to be putting you in Revelation a lot this evening, so you might want to uh, keep your finger back there. In chapter 9 of Revelation, we have in the verse 14 through 16, the sixth angel that blows a trumpet, and authorizes something to take place. 
The sixth angel sounded in the verse 13 and verse 14, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates, and the four angels which were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen who are going to do this slaying, I put those words in, were 200,000 thousand. That's, that uh, comes up to 200 million, I believe. And do you know that China has an army of 200 million men today? Start putting a few figures together and realizing the tremendous power of, uh, of China, the tremendous power of Russia, and the tremendous power that can develop what apparently is going to come out of the uh, nations of, uh, of Africa. And what does this army do but in this battle destroys, kills one-third of all mankind? A third of the population of the earth are going to be killed. In recent days, I believe we have had the fulfilling of some of the things that need to take place in order to put the final days in motion. We have had the coming down of the Berlin Wall. You are going to discover that Germany is going to be reunited one of these days. That had to take place in order for that to happen because Germany is going to be a part of this Antichrist reign of the old Roman Empire, the uh, common market of Europe. In just recent days, we have had the premier of Russia having a meeting with the Pope. And there has begun to be a change in the attitude of Russia toward the church. Today you can go to church in Russia, you can carry your Bible in open, out of the open in Russia, you can worship again in Russia, because there has been a change in attitude when the Russian government is now recognizing that there is some value of some sort to spiritual values taught and advocated by the church. They have recognized that man is a religious individual and they can no longer advocate atheism as the way to go because people do not believe in atheism. Very few people are hardcore atheists because our whole being tells us there is a God. The story is told of Satan training some of his devils to come down to earth, and there were two new guys that were supposed to be the demons coming to earth, and Satan was quizzing them on what they would do if they came down here. And the one angel said that he would tell the world that there is no God. Satan said, you can't go, that won't do, because everybody knows there's a God. He asked the next one, he said, I'll tell them there is a God. But just delay. Don't get in a hurry about being religious. He said, I'll send you. You can accomplish the job. People know there's a God. The Russian people know it. The premier of Russia knows it. He was brought up in church. 
He cannot deny that there is a God because it's in his soul. The problem is he doesn't accept Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But to accept God, there are many. But nations are going to begin to war against each other. There's going to be all kinds of things happening. And he goes on to say that there's going to be famine and pestilences and earthquakes in many different places. If you'll go back to Revelation again, chapter 6 this time. And I know this is a hurried up affair to cover a lot of territory, but I'm going to try to do it uh, some way this evening. Verse 5 of chapter 6. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and behold, I lo uh, and I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see that you hurt not the oil and the wine. What this is talking about, after the world devastation of the nations against nations to the fact that one-third of the population will be destroyed and the wars are going to be fought with the Antichrist at that time by other nations, there's going to be a tremendous famine to the point that food is going to be extremely scarce. And that's what it's talking about. A penny for a manger of wheat was a day's, a day's wage for a small amount of wheat or barley. And be careful that you don't uh, destroy the oil and the wine because they're going to be of such precious uh, commodities. In Acts chapter 2, we have uh, these words in verse 19 and 20. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. This earth is going to be so devastated, earthquakes are going to be everywhere, to the point that the sun and the moon are going to be darkened with all the turmoil that's taken place. Back to Revelation chapter 6 again. Verses uh, 12 and following. And I beheld, and when he had opened the sixth seal, and though there was a great earthquake, the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell upon the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken by a mighty wind. This world and the universe is going to be shaken to the point that stars are going to lose their orbit and begin falling. The earth will suffer such tremendous tremor, he calls it a great earthquake, to the point that the sun is blackened out and the moon looks like it has been turned to blood. And there's where a lot of people get that we're going to fight on the moon and the moon is going to be blood. I don't think that's at all what it means. I don't think there's any reason for us going up there to fight. We're going to have enough fighting right here on the earth. This world is going to go through a tremendous war and famine and pestilences, disease of every kind. Earthquakes will be all over the place. The world is going to be torn to bits. But notice what he says in verse 8. Verse 8, this is just the beginning. There in 24, Matthew. 
All these things are the beginning of sorrows. All right. Now, verse 9. Then shall they deliver you up to the afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Remember, I told you the church is born. At the beginning, there's not a Christian person on the earth. And now Jesus comes back and says, you're going to be brought up and, aff and afflicted. You're going to be killed. You're going to be hated. All nations are going to despise you. Well, who, who is this if everybody is, uh, is, is not saved? Remember, the church is gone. Go to Revelation chapter 7. You're going to get tired of this traveling back and forth here, but we've got to do it. Revelation 7. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. And the wind shall not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, neither the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on our foreheads. He's saying, stop all of this destruction. Wait. It's as if God is going to have to catch up. We're going to have to identify the saved and put the mark of God on their forehead. The people who are the unsaved of the earth will have what's called the mark of the beast. They already have that process prepared. It's going to be very possible that one of these days, our children are going to be asked to have the, their social security number put on their forehead. You cannot see it, but there is a machine that they have that can read it. And they're going to say the reason we want this done is so that we can identify lost kids, and that's a pretty good reason. But there's another reason underneath that, and that is to identify everybody who belongs to the devil. And there are people who are going to refuse to be identified with the world powers during the tribulation period and will say, absolutely no, I refuse to be identified with the mark of the beast. Prefix to that number is going to be 666, and then you've gone on with your social security number or some other such number. God is saying, hold on, wait a minute, I'm going to identify my people with my own name. So on our foreheads will go the name of God. Verse 4, And I heard the number of them that were sealed. And there were sealed 144,000 of the tribes of the children of Israel. 144,000 saved Jews. And he goes on in the next few verses and identifies them the tribes. Three three Sundays ago, I told you that the northern tribes of Israel, ten tribes, went into captivity and were lost again. They're not lost. God knows every one of them. We just don't seem to know where they are. But there's going to be 12,000 out of all of them. But go over to verse 11 of that same chapter, chapter 7. I think I'm right. Let me see. Verse 9. I'll start at verse 9. And after this I beheld a low, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. A great number, 144,000 Jews, 
and the number of Gentiles to the point you can't even number have been massacred, and they're standing before the throne. And verse 11, And all the angels stood around about the throne, and about the elders, and the four beasts, and fell down before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessed and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be unto God forever and ever. And one of the elders sang unto me, Who are these which are arrayed in white robes? Where did they come from? And I said, Sir, thou knowest. He said unto me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There will be saved people during the tribulation. But listen, the Holy Spirit is gone. He left when the church left. A person saved here is going to be saved because he, in his effort, desires it and pleads for it and puts himself in the mercy of God. He's not going to have the help of the Holy Spirit bringing him to a point of conviction. He's gone. But multitudes will be saved and will be killed as a result of the fact that they are saved because they won't accept the mark of the beast. Well, we've got to go on here. Verse 10 of Matthew. There shall be many, and then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Brotherly love will have gone out the window. People are going to start uh, killing each other. They're going to divulge the identity of each other. They're going to be... Uh, unsaved people who will identify who Christians are like they did during the uh, Nazi reign of Germany when the, the Gestapo knocked on the door and said, are there any Jews in this house? And some people, in order to save their own hide, will say, yes, my brother's hiding under the bed. Please don't hurt me, I told you. This is going to happen. The scripture says in Mark that brother is going to be against brother and father against son and son against father. When the uh, police arrive at the door and want to know where the Christians are, those who are afraid for their own life are going to tell. And those who are Christian will be let off to be killed. There's going to be a defection People who have hung around the church and said they believed in God and believed in Christ and were part of the Olive Branch Baptist Church are going to get cold feet and suddenly deny the fact that they ever knew anything about the church in order to save their own hide. And it's going to identify the fact that they are the ones that were the false believers. When Jesus said to his disciples, uh, to leave the tares and the wheat alone and let them grow up together because in the judgment I'll make the difference. I can tell which ones are which. And here's going to be a separation when the real believer will die for his faith and the false believer will tattle on him in order to save his own hide. That's what's going to be happening. He says many false prophets in verse 11 will arise and shall deceive many because iniquity shall abound, sin will be everywhere. 
anarchy all over the place. The love of many who have claimed they love Christ will grow cold and they no longer will love him. I told you the story one time that I believe fits this well. In Russia, those Russian soldiers who came into the church and required that the congregation identify whether they were believers in Christ. If they would not identify their belief in Christ, they were free to go, but those who believed in Christ were to stay. You can imagine the quaking in the boots. Many people left the church. They denied their Christ. Some stayed behind. And then the soldiers identified, you don't have to be afraid, we're believers too. We're just sorting out the difference between the saved and the lost. If tonight somebody came to our door here and said every Christian must go to jail, how many of us would go to jail? Or how many of us would say, oh, I just happened to be visiting tonight to see what was going on? Yes, I have my name on the roll, but you see, that really doesn't mean anything. I just did that for social purposes. The real Christian will die for his faith in the day of the tribulation. And the love that others have said they have will grow cold and they'll pass with the wayside. Someone has said that many people abandoned the physical church because they were never a part of the invisible church. I believe that's right. Those who abandoned our churches probably abandoned them because they were never a part of the real church, the body of Christ. Someone also has said that many people forsake God's earthly family because they were never born into the heavenly family. A child of God may falter, he may fail, when the chips are down, the real child of God will stand firm. It's the false ones that will deny their faith. Well, let's go on. We've talked about deceit a lot, but verse 11 does the same thing over again. That there's going to be a lot of false things going around, and we are living in a day of false religions. False religions are on the rise. Over in the book of Revelation, chapter 9, it talks about sorcerers. A sorcerer, in the Greek language, is pharmakia. It's the Greek word from which we get pharmacy, which really means mind-altering drugs. We are in a day when false religions are advocating uh, mind-altering drugs. And I don't need to say much about that, and I won't tonight. But the usage of drugs is on the increase in a very rapid manner. And listen, we're not about to stop it. It's going to get worse. It used to be something that somebody else in New York or Chicago did. But now it's even in the grade schools of the communities of this county. 
and junior highs and high schools, and now we have to test for drugs at work in order to make a safe working place. It is rampant, and it is in the church. People who use drugs has become a very severe burden to our society and to our church, and it's going to get worse. And false religions are going to come along that advocate that. Verse 12 talks about the fact that there's going to be a lot of people who will no longer be obedient at all to law and order, but sin and lawlessness will be rampant. We're coming to that point in time when we cheer the criminal, when we make homosexuality an acceptable way of life, and it's now being taught many, many places in our country and the schools that homosexuality is just an alternate lifestyle, as if that were acceptable. Immorality is accepted anywhere on TV, uh, in our schools, and certainly it affects our churches. But he says in the 13th verse, a very important verse that we need to understand, He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And let me say, that verse has been misquoted and misused. Remember I told you early on, we've got to understand the time frame that is being talked about. Jesus is not talking about the day of the church in this passage of Scripture. He's talking about the day of tribulation. During the day of tribulation, that will be the manner of salvation. You stick to it or you're lost if you say you believe. You show your colors. Claim you know Christ today and deny him tomorrow and you're on your way to hell. Grace is not in the picture. Our salvation is based upon what God did for us. In the day of tribulation, we're going to go back to that process of what man does to assure his salvation. We better be saved while we have grace. During the church age, it's by grace are you saved. During the tribulation, it's endurance that will mean whether you're saved or not. Then look at verse 14, finally. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. I used to misinterpret that verse, and I'll confess it, and I've preached it wrong. I used to believe that the Lord would rapture the church when the church has preached the gospel through the entire world. Not so. Because this patch of scripture isn't talking about the church age. It's talking about the tribulation time. Somebody is going to preach to the whole world. And I, want to, I want you to notice who's going to do it. You're going to have to go to Revelation chapter 11. I hope you don't want to go anywhere. I just got to finish this. If you've got to go home, do it. I know I'm over time bit, but I think this is too important to leave. Revelation chapter 11. Verse 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. They shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days. That's three and a half years, by the way. They, and these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, 
Fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies, and if any man will hurt them, he must be in, in this manner be killed. During that three and a half year period of time, God is going to protect these two people and they're going to preach the gospel to the entire world. Now, at the end of that three and a half year period, the Antichrist, the old devil, comes to power here. And uh, down in, uh, in verse uh, 7, And when they shall have finished their testimony, that is, when they shall have preached the gospel to the whole world, out of the bottomless pit there shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, that's Jerusalem, and going on down to verse 9, and they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see the dead bodies three and one half days lying in the street dead. To save time, let me tell you, at the end of that three and a half day period of time, those bodies get up. And over in the twelfth uh, verse, those bodies, those two people prophesying, are told, come on home, come on up to heaven. Jesus takes them bodily into heaven. They were dead on the streets, everybody saw them, and then they are resurrected and taken to heaven. They have done their job. They have preached the gospel throughout the entire world for three and one half years and left dead in the streets and were considered despicable by all of society and the television cameras were faced on them and the whole world saw them lying there and then suddenly they get up out of the street. God put life back into them. And then he takes them home. They've done their job. We've said 144,000 Jews and millions of Gentiles be saved. Now, there's one other thing I've got to say, and that's over in the 14th chapter. This may be somewhat of a shock to you, some of you at least. Uh, an interesting conclusion to this tribulation period. Beginning in uh, verse 6 of the 14th chapter of Revelation. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. An angel is going to preach. That never been done before. God gave the job of preaching to the church, but the church is gone. He assigned two of his prophets, whoever they might have been, to preach. They are dead and gone, and now as a final effort to save man, look at the mercy of God. He even sends an angel to preach the gospel unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, here's what his gospel is now, notice what he says, fear God, and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth, and sea and the fountains of waters. He calls for a worship of God a giving him glory. There's another angel that follows right there in verse 8 that announces the fact that the world power time is ended. Uh, and in verse 9, he goes on to say, then about three lines down, the third angel, that if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, anybody who has the mark of the beast the same, verse 10, shall drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup. Now let me explain that a little bit. First of all, if people have gone through 
this tribulation period, all that time, and still are not believers, God's mercy has been exhausted. And now they will be forced to drink of the wrath of God, and he calls it the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture. I talked to you this morning about the fact that in Jesus' day, they mixed the wine with water and diluted it because you couldn't really drink strong wine. I mean, that was really going to zonk you if you did to make a good drink out of it. They watered it down. God is saying, listen, I'm going to give you my wrath full strength. It's not going to be watered down. It's not going to be soft-pedaled. The people who have rejected the prophets, has rejected the church, has rejected the two prophets, has rejected the angels preaching, has rejected the Son himself upon earth, has rejected everything God has offered. His time of mercy is over. He is no longer going to have pity on the people. He is going to pour out and force upon them his wrath in full strength. Verse 11, the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Talk about how long punishment is. There it is. It's ever and ever. And they what? Have no rest, not day nor night, those who worship the beast in his image, who have received the mark of his name. Down to verse 15. I'm going to quit real quick. Another angel came out of the temple. Here in Revelation 14, verse 15. Another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice, saying to him that sat on the crowd, and this of course is Christ, thrust in thy sickle and reap. For the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. He that sat on the crowd on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. Another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud voice, saying to him that had the sharp sickle, thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. The angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress was trodden. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.